Hey guys, welcome to Setting the Skeen. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah, and none of our ug- other regular uh, hosts are on this week. None of our other ugly. Whoa, Elijah. <laughs> that I is not what I was going to say. Well, you know. None of our ugly hosts are here. It's just me and Tristan. <laughs> and we have a guest. Yeah, that's right. Oh boy, who could that guest be? <laughs> uh, it's hmm. my sister, Abby. You can, yeah, hey, Abby. Welcome, Abby. <laughs> Hey, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Stellar opening. Thank you. We won awards for them. So, um, wow, we're all here, all three of us. We made it. We're on a podcast. It's this new one called Setting the Skein. Um, we talk about uh, movies, turns out. And we're going to get right into it, folks, because uh, this one's going to be dense. Um, it's also a heavier episode, just fair warning. There's a lot going on here. So, um, if you were looking for something light and fun, probably not, you probably shouldn't have tapped the play button on this one. Uh, sorry, you may want to skip it or something. Yeah, we're um, going to go deep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're watching, um, the, uh, heck, did it come out this year or last year? I think 2021. 2021's Power of the Dog. That's how we're watching. And, uh, you know, Elijah asked me to come up with the reviews and I'll get them ready. But, um, Elijah, you can go ahead and go off with the cast if you want. Okay. I'm noticing when you Googled it because you're sharing your screen in the Zoom call. Yeah, I know. And, um, I know. I typed in the wrong thing. <laughs> well, I was, I was just noticing that uh, Paul Dano shows up. Um, even though he wasn't actually in the movie, right? Because we read that he was originally cast in the part of George, but he's not actually in the movie. But his name shows up when you Google the cast. Yeah. Okay, so um, Power of the Dog uh, was written and directed by Jane Campion. I'm going to assume that's how you pronounce her name. Uh, She's from New Zealand. Um, And I think she won Best Director for another movie, but I haven't looked up what that is yet. This is based on an old book by Thomas Savage that was really uh, not well known until um, this movie came out. The cast is Benedict Cumberbatch, Genevieve Lemon, if that's how you say it, Jesse Plemons, Cody Smith-McPhee, Kenneth Radley, Kirsten Dunst, Sean Keenan. See, I'm reading these in the order they appear, and so some of these are not actually some of the more recognizable characters sorry about that you're we doing got, great who else we got in here who do we know there's other actors in this thing that we know who's that uh the actress from um jojo rabbit what's oh that's um thomason mckenzie yeah that's her yeah yep, she's in it she just appears in this film she says hello i'm here who else we got there's keith uh carradine who plays the governor who i recognized because he played a terrifying serial killer in criminal minds so that was a little jarring for me <laughs> um but yeah and there's some other familiar faces in there um star-studded cast there's i think four actors in this movie nominated for academy awards and this movie's nominated for like 12 awards yeah um, also the music is by uh johnny greenwood that's his name right yes johnny greenwood the uh guitarist and keyboardist of radiohead who also did the music for There Will Be Blood, one of Tristan's favorite movies that we've talked about a lot. Um, so yeah. there's a lot of good stuff that went into this movie. Yeah, you know, um, this movie was filmed in New Zealand. 
by the way. I saw that. Mm-hmm. Uh, does take place in New Zealand, though. Um, no, it's in Montana. How about that? Well, uh, as for scores, we've got a 2.9 audience rating, 2.9 of 5, which I guess is like, I don't know. They didn't really let's, care for it too much. Let's call it, let's round that up to 3 out of 5. All right. Well, uh, not Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 94%. IMDb has got a 6.9, which is honestly a little surprising. I thought that would be higher. Um, and Metacritic gives it an 89 um roger ebert which we don't ever do but popped up for me i gave it four stars um which sounds about right and then uh what what is that common sense media that that what people like to hear (laughs) yeah you want to yeah there it is right there yeah what they gave it it what it's a four out of five okay uh you know i i don't these people on here i don't really get them i don't really understand what what's going on what do kids mm-hmm. say about it? Kids say a story that needs to be told, apparently, about this movie. Um, all right. Well, whatever. That, that That's what we're talking about today, folks. Um, what is everyone's experience with this movie? Abby? Well, um, I first watched this movie with my folks, and dad picked it out because he thought it was going to be a traditional western what a surprise um throughout the movie he's making comments like wow what is this movie what is this movie like he's getting increasingly more irritated well by the end of the movie he's like well this movie sucked i hated this um but we started talking about it and we talked about it for maybe like an hour and a half to two hours and by the end of that conversation he was like wow that was a good movie i liked that so that's my experience. <laughs> and um, I know that our dear father, <laughs> we've had the same experience with him in the past because we've watched movies together. The one that stands out for me is The Prestige, which I made my family watch after I saw it. I was like, this movie's awesome. Y'all got to see it. We watched it. And dad was like, that's that was a stupid movie. and It was a waste of my time. And then I remember the next day, dad was like, hey, I thought about that movie we watched. That was a good movie. <laughs> Did you so sometimes he just has to like <laughs> he just he has gotta to get his feelings out. He has to not like a movie for a minute sometimes before he realizes he likes it. <laughs> Did you have him watch that movie after we saw it on the podcast? No, when we watched it for the podcast, that was probably like the fifth time I've watched that movie. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I just saw this movie. I, I wanted to see it when it came out, and you know, it's not been out long, but I just kind of uh never got around to it um until mm-hmm. i carved time out and did it um i i liked it it's very similar to a lot of movies i like it's a deep character study and not not necessarily a direct one either um you just kind of mm-hmm. see these characters live their lives and how they are so uh yeah i mean i just saw it i just saw it two days ago so <laughs> <laughs> the, the thoughts are still fresh for me but uh yeah well let's get right into it um wait elijah what was your experience oh my experience is i watched it yesterday at home and uh, appreciated the fact that the movie is split into parts numbered with roman numerals because uh 
every other chapter of the movie, I would pause it and go change over my laundry. That's my experience. Got you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I was I was posting clothes up for sale while I was watching this movie, so I was taking pictures of clothes and <laughs> put them on Poshmark. <laughs> um, yeah, I liked it. Um, I'm ready to dive in. Okay. Well, so Abby took um, 89 pages of notes on this movie. I originally only took three, and then I condensed that down to one page front and back. So we're working from that. <laughs> That's two pages. That's a cheat sheet <laughs> in middle school. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. Well, um, do you want to first just like summarize the plot in a few sentences and then we'll break it down? Okay. Um, we've got two brothers out in Montana who own a plot of land um, and they're super different from each other. I would say one is very quiet, very passive. The other is overly direct, overly um, venomous, uh, perhaps overly he's, he's manipulative. He's a bully. Um, and we can get into that later. Um, and then they stay at a tavern where um, they meet the characters Rose and Peter. Rose is a, roughly their age, and then Peter is their or is her son. Um, she's a widow, I suppose. Recently in the story, a widow, and unclear. Okay. Yeah. Um, George, the passive brother, begins to court her, and then ends up eloping her or eloping with her. Goodness, sorry. <laughs> Um, and so she and her son move on to the ranch while Phil is threatened by her presence and also Peter's presence. And so the whole movie is a slow build to the never ending dread and tension that exists in this new dynamic. So interesting. What? Does that kind of summarize? Yeah. yeah. So there's there are these four characters that are really major players in the story mm -hmm. um played by four actors nominated for academy awards now um and they're all different they all have different flaws that we could point out that play into the drama um mm -hmm. and you know i found myself making predictions about where the drama was going to go based on the character flaws i was observing and i was incorrect <laughs> mm. yeah. um I, and you know i recognize that all of the things like if you, i could definitely see i would I'm, I'm sure a lot of people watched this movie and did predict what was going to happen um because the signs were there i i see all the signs pretty clearly after i finished the movie i was like all right i get it um but i did not predict where this was going in spite of all the signs pointing towards it mm-hmm I do have a quote from one of the reviews that I read by Miles Garcia. It's really brief. It says, each character has a rich history that may not be explicitly expanded upon, but the looks on their faces indicate deep, solitary traumas. Yeah. So true. The skill of this movie is in all the small details. 
Mm. There's a, like I said before, there's a lot of good ingredients to this movie. Um, the actors are all really top notch. Uh, the script and the direction we we'll talk about the cinematography later, which I never have much to say about cause I don't know much about it. Um, but all those things were good. Um, what else was I going to say? The acting, the writing, the script, and the music. Yeah, the music really contributed to what was going on. It was suitably mm -hmm. intense um, and thoughtful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it, it, all, it all worked together really well. Yes. You know, this is one of those movies that it's kind of already good. Like, we don't have to argue about whether or not the acting was good or not. You know, it's just, we're fine. We got it. It's good. So now we can take a deeper dive into things, you know, which, um, which like, it's kind of refreshing sometimes on this podcast, because sometimes we're trying to justify whether or not that was even a good performance. And then it's like, we can't, we don't even get any deeper with it, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Let's go swimming. Yeah. Um, uh, where do you want to start, Abby? Well, we started talking about our major players, our four characters. So let's let's dive with yeah. those characters. Let's Good. talk about Phil first. So Benedict Cumberbatch, I know we're not talking about the acting, but I just want to mention he went a little method, maybe a lot method for this character. He and Kirsten Dunst didn't interact with each other on set so that there would be more distance between them. And that would be, you know, palpable during filming. And uh, I saw a piece of trivia that said um, when the director, Jane Campion, introduced him to everybody, she was like, this is Phil. This is who you're going to be working for. Benedict's a really nice guy, but you're not going to meet him until after shooting. <laughs> Something like that, you know. <laughs> um, so that it was kind of one of those situations. Wow. That honestly doesn't surprise me too much, simply because, I mean, like, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of an actor who is generally considered a nice guy and is having to play a character like this. I think I would have to go method as well. Uh, you know, apparently now <laughs> I don't know how true all this is. Um, but on IMDb's trivia, it also said he, uh, smoked a lot leading up to this, even though he had quit smoking years before and he ended up getting like, um, getting really sick a couple of times. He learned banjo and apparently learned, how to castrate a bull, which is a scene in the movie. Uh, yeah. I don't know how true it is that he actually learned all those things, but according to IMDb, he did. Dang. Yeah. That is pretty intense. I have no knowledge of it, so sounds fun. Sounds like it may be right. Yeah. So Phil's character drives like the main truck of why I wanted to talk about this movie, because he is the physical embodiment of toxic masculinity yeah he is so manipulative so controlling he thrives on the humiliation of others yeah um, and not only do you see how he is you learn pretty directly why he is that way or at least things that led him to become that way you know and and that's something that is really well explored throughout this movie mm -hmm. and it's so interesting like 
you know, it is a slow build with these characters. Um, the this second time that I watched for the podcast, um, I was looking in the very beginning with any interactions that he had with women specifically. And there are virtually none until Rose, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think was a statement in and of itself that he could just completely avoided contact with women. Like, why would I waste my time? Mm -hmm. Um, And, oh, what was the other part? There was something else to that too. Oh, well, it's okay. It's gone now. Um, oh, I remember now. This will lead into our conversation about George, which I definitely wanted to talk about. Um, when the scene in the beginning, which was so slow, I didn't pay attention to this the first time around. But the scene where George comes back from visiting Rose when he's still courting her, and Phil walks down and he starts talking like, remember so-and-so and he's talking about all of George's former lovers um, and just completely belittles and demeans his former lover- lovers and George sits in silence and then says I'm going to bed completely did not address that so let's mm-hmm. talk about George now yeah. that we're here let's talk about him who wants to start Okay. Well, well I, I, okay. So you're bringing this up because all the reviews had nothing but good to say about George, even though he is a deeply flawed character. Uh, let me start by saying, especially, okay. So, so this movie split into chapters and um, I think the only character who's really a major player in every chapter is Phil, you know, like some of the chapters you don't hear from some of the other characters uh, very much or at all. Um, but when George has scenes that he's, you know, kind of there and helping to drive, I found myself sympathizing with him. I wanted George to win, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I kind of liked him. He had scenes where he tugged at my heartstrings a little and I did sympathize with him. I really wanted I wanted to see him grow. I wanted to see him be a really dynamic character. He was a little bit because he did finally have a scene towards the end where he kind of, you know, finally drew a, a line with Phil. But even then it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as strong as I thought it was going to be. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, deeply flawed. And we'll talk about that. But I just want to say, I, I think I would say for the most part, I did like George. I found myself sympathizing with him. Um but yeah, he definitely has flaws. I mean, his main, the main person who's butting against him is his brother in a lot of ways. So, you know, and it's hard to feel good about Phil. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's kind of just like, okay, well, you know, I kind of feel for George actually, even though he's got his problems, you know, it's still like what a horrible person he's having to work with. So, right. You know, mm-hmm. and George, um, you could say, you know, he <clears throat> he does things he shouldn't do or really um, probably more accurate to say he doesn't do things that he should do. I think that's what I'm picking up on uh, about George's flaws. Part of it. Um, but like you, I, I think that's a big part of it. Like you have to consider that um, 
he's he's admired Phil as the stronger brother his whole life and Phil has been kind of the role model uh just you know Phil and Bronco Henry who was their mentor who we'll talk about later but um mm-hmm. uh you know like who has George had to model um you know how how to actually be a good man like I I feel like him being a good man compared to Phil that's just stuff he's had to figure out on his own because Phil wasn't teaching him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's why I found myself sympathizing with him and really wanting him to make strides in this movie and kind of be the one to confront Phil. Um, that's not exactly what happened. I super appreciate these perspectives actually. Like I really do because this is a movie centered around themes about toxic masculinity and so I do appreciate where both of you are coming from with that um for me as a woman who was watching this film I feel ambivalent about George's character like extreme opposite ends because I do feel some sympathy towards his character because he's in one sense, he does look up to Phil, but he's also constantly belittled by Phil himself and by others who know Phil. Like I'm thinking about the dinner party scene where he's got these big fancy guests that he's invited over um, to have company with George and Rose. And they talk about how Phil was this graduate from Yale. Wow, what's Phil doing? I can't wait to meet Phil. Like it's that kind of comparison that he's constantly getting he's constantly the lesser brother I feel for him um and like the scene where he and Rose have just gotten married and he like has a little moment where he's like how nice it is not to be alone um and he actually seems like genuine about liking Rose's playing which is sweet like it does seem like he cares about her to some degree but I feel volatilely angry. I don't know if volatilely is a word, but I feel super angry about the way he does not protect Rose. Yeah. And he has multiple chances to. And if we're talking about what healthy masculinity looks like, I mean, perhaps it's anti-feminist for me to say, I'm not sure, but when you are the husband to a woman who your own brother is constantly humiliating and degrading with words, looks, actions, and you're sitting there doing nothing. I mean, his absence in this film speaks volumes. I just think he's spineless. (laughs) Yeah, um, I agree. He is when it comes to his brother. He can't bring himself to confront his brother. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, and this is probably an apt comparison. They're like dogs, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're like two, two pups from the same litter. And one of them had to be the alpha male and just piss on the other one. And that was Phil. And -hmm. it's like, George has just been trained to submit to Phil as the leader. And George is submissive to the point that even when Phil is doing people really wrong George can't bring himself to say something and we do see some some of that character development as George you know kind of says something and there towards the end you know 
He clearly opposes what Phil wants to do. And that was kind of what I wanted to see as far as character development, but he didn't quite go all the way. You mm -hmm. know, I wanted him to really draw a line in the sand or punch Phil in the face. Like that's really mm -hmm. what I wanted. Um, and we didn't quite get that. And I'll say this, you know, talking about how I kept trying to predict where this movie was going and I was incorrect. Um, it's actually two things that I predicted would happen based on the particular character flaws I was seeing and the way the characters interacted. I made two very grim predictions that I did I very much did not want to happen. And they actually didn't. Mm -hmm. One was that I thought Phil was going to murder Peter um, when the two of them were out there in the middle of nowhere, you know, with a rabbit under the logs and stuff like those scenes. Mm -hmm. I just kept saying, Oh my gosh, Phil is going to just bludgeon him over the head and leave him to mm -hmm. die or something like that. Right. And then the other thing was, I was afraid that Phil was going to rape Rose, mm. especially those scenes, like the scene when she's practicing piano and nobody else is around and he sneaks in. He doesn't say anything mm -hmm. to her. He slips past her. That whole scene, I kept thinking, oh my gosh, is he going to come in there and try to rape her? I really mm. thought that was going to happen um, because he's obsessed with showing his power over other people. I was afraid that he would try to do that. And I just kept thinking to myself, where is George right now? Like, that's yeah. what I was thinking during that scene when she's practicing the piano and he sneaks into the house. I was like, come on, George, where are you at? Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, do we want to talk about the other characters before we move on into scenes so we can, well, I, I just know we stopped at George and <laughs> what, what else well, were you going to say about George? Well, this could maybe lead into talking about Peter. Um, when Rose starts drinking, George doesn't catch on until like he sees the actual bottle in her bed. Phil and Peter were both, they'd been knowing. And it took him five ever to catch yeah. on to that, which is another sign of like, where are you? Where are you yeah. at? Yeah, um, I, I didn't think about that, but you're right. Well, you know, he's physically away a lot. He goes on these trips. I, I forget. What does he do when he's away? I don't remember. I don't either. He's like <laughs> on business or something. I don't know. But he's gone for like weeks, I think, at a time. And so he misses these things. But also, yeah, he's just not, an, he's not aware. He's not an, mm -hmm. an alert person. I mean, that's your wife. And yeah. You don't know? I think his head is so up in the clouds. He, to, to me about George he's trying to get away from this he's trying to get away from this his brother and how his brother is and how this toxic masculinity that he's always known coming from him and at him often that when he sees something else as an out that's not coming from his brother like Rose or even maybe even sometimes Peter or something or just anyone he's just like okay, I, I can, I can not be so guarded, but also I can actually hold some more authority. And like, it, it's, it's like the, we can get into this, but the dinner scene and how he mm -hmm. speaks to Rose during that whole time, you know, I mean, it, it reminds me of things like that, where he's just very forward and he's, he has like little bitty inklings of things that he may get from Phil, but he's not like, the mean part of Phil he's just tr he's just trying to uh I don't know he's trying to 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 show off some sort of 
of power, I think, there. Uh, maybe I'm on the wrong track, but I don't know. That's what I get sometimes from him, but between him and Rose, and it, it just it just never really like comes off as love between like that he shows. It's just almost like a a power thing to me. Mm-hmm. Or well, he's just he's just unaware. <laughs> he just doesn't get it. Yeah, I you know, I want to say, and when you're talking about abstract concepts like love, it's hard to really spell it out, but I want to say he, he does love Rose, but he is absent and he fails her. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not attentive. Um, well, I, think he, talk- I think he cares for her, you know, the best way he knows how, given where he's at, but he's not attentive and he needs to be there for her. That's kind of what I think about him. Yeah. Yeah. Am I, am I being too nice about George, Abby? No, I don't think so. Because like I said, I feel torn because I do have just these completely opposite feelings for George. And one, I am, I'm super angry that he's not there. Um, but also like I see, especially now hearing you guys talk about him, I see more of like where he's coming from as a character. I just, I wish he had been pushed to grow, but right. I mean, early on, you remember the, you remember what Phil says to him early on where he's like, he, he is talking to George and he basically tells him like, you were too stupid to do well in school mm-hmm. and you're not that good at anything. So where mm-hmm. would you be without Bronco Phil? Like that whole thing. Yes. Like, I feel like George has just been browbeaten his entire life. Yeah, you know? um, yeah exactly. And so he, he can't bring himself to stand up to Phil for most of the movie. That's, that's the way I see it. And he, he has, his whole life has had this sort of like beating down on him, this other character, his brother, and probably other men like his brother around him in his life growing up to where that's just what he knows from another man, but he's not that way. And he doesn't want to be that way. And we can see that he doesn't want to be that way. But what other example has he had that we can see of, of a way to be? He just, he just starts to avoid conflict like mm-hmm. he doesn't ever approach it, you know? And, and the growth that could happen there with, with George, it's just, um, I, I think he's never pushed to do it because he, he, every opportunity that it comes up to where he could grow or could, you know, get better or be be a better person he just decides to avoid it because that's what he's done his whole life with all these men who have been stronger or more verbal than him so let's talk about peter and rose because that was the tie i was gonna bring in i'm pretty sure like peter strikes me as the type of observant intelligent individual who would pick up on these things from george as well and then hone in on phil as the obstacle to remove yeah in order for that growth to take place but also in light of his own mom seeing his mom and the way that she is constantly mistreated Mm -hmm. he sees phil as an obstacle to be taken down right so peter ends up being a ticking time bomb i didn't necessarily recognize that but that's that's what you're saying right yeah total surprise um do we ever even see peter and george interact with each other no 
least not in a major way, not that I can remember. No, not anything significant. Mm -mm. It yeah, seems so... like George actually tries to avoid Peter if they're ever in the same room or nearby each other. Like George is just focused on Rose, which I could I feel like I could keep talking about George if I want to, but right. Like, well, I think he's just he's so just... laser focused on this out or whatever he sees Rose as that you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that may be, a, you know, just another indication that he is absent when he needs to be there because um, he's, he's um, willing to be there for Rose in some ways. Like at the beginning, Rose is the person he goes to help after Phil insults everybody. But like the person Phil really insulted was Peter. And George doesn't go up to Peter and apologize for his brother's behavior. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I really see there are so many layers to this movie. I had not picked up on that, but you're so right. All right. So we're talking about Peter, though. <laughs> Let's yeah. talk about that quote at the very beginning of the movie where Peter says, for what kind of man would I be if I did not help her, if I did not save her? It's an interesting way to open a movie about masculinity. Yeah, you know, I think it's just taken from his experiences with other men around. That's just he sees as he sees him as himself as the man of the house, if you will. And now he because his dad isn't around. So, I mean, there are things that maybe he sees it within his mom that we see later on in the movie with her alcoholism and things like that. <clears throat> or maybe she, you know, is just depressed and not um maybe that's what he sees as trying to save her from you know so but to, to, it's at least in part to him his duty to do that mm. or he sees it that way and that's a pretty traditional masculine uh, or a traditional view of masculinity mm -hmm. i mean um, it's it, it makes me think, you know, I, I don't know. There's no prequel. So I, I, I don't know what forces are at play in um, his mom's life and in Peter's life um, coming up to this movie. But I, I don't think he's necessarily wrong. You know, when you need when so, when you need someone to help you through a thing and he, your closest friend is your son i mean and he's i don't think he's a bad guy he's just a teenager though you know so i can't put that on someone <laughs> so hmm. um we want to talk about rose real quick yeah, or... yeah sure okay um what are our thoughts about our dear Rose? Uh, well, like I said, I, I think she's troubled um, in some ways that we don't necessarily see at the beginning, but we can make mm -hmm. inferences about, you know, her husband died probably recently, at mm -hmm. least, you know, um, that's- And died by suicide. Yeah. Which already there, she's entering into the story with hosts of trauma. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, 
I mean, it's a this is a culture where you have a husband or you have suitors available to you. And I think you could probably think, well, most of the people who are coming by are probably cowboys who are all hardened. And maybe people like Phil, you know, or maybe she's so when she sees someone like George, it's like, wow, you're not like the other men. I don't know. But she's in this situation of which she's kind of in, she's out in the wilderness. So it's not like she lives in a city where there's a lot of options. So that's probably affecting on her psyche a lot. Mm. That probably affects everybody's psyche. Yes. Being isolated like that. Yeah. yeah. And we've seen other Westerns and, you know, any like frontier movie. Um, that deals with deep themes like they're probably going to touch on that kind of isolated feeling and i'm thinking about some of the movies that we've seen there like that um there will be blood it, it always seems to be in the movies i'm thinking of it's the women who suffer most for sure when it comes to that isolation maybe because men are the ones expected to be out there blazing trails while the women are i don't know <laughs> him in clothes or what like <laughs> And, and at it, home losing their dang minds losing their exactly. yeah so so she's feeling that isolation and then <laughs> it comes right back to george your wife is isolated and you're just leaving where are you at george george <laughs> get it together anyway so yeah. um you want to spend some time talking about some major symbols in the movie yeah do we have any more thoughts about the characters that we want to oh, briefly probably. touch on? Yeah, I'm sure yeah. they'll come out when we talk about some of these things. I mean, sounds right. We're going to get to it, but what ends up happening is Phil dies, and the doctor thinks it was anthrax poisoning from a diseased cow. And everybody's like, but he didn't handle any diseased cows. And you figure out that this was actually Peter's doing. Because mm-hmm. Peter cut up some rawhide from a cow that he just found somewhere. And that cow probably died of anthrax. And then mm-hmm. uh, Peter was like, here, use this to make the rope. And Phil makes the rope. Um, and it, it was established earlier in the movie that this manly man that he is, Phil, refuses to wear gloves when he does this work. Because he's mm-hmm. just that mm-hmm. tough. So he doesn't wear gloves. And he makes the rope out of this rawhide that's poisoned with anthrax. And then he dies um and yeah and it's his hand was he had an open wound on his hand yeah because he refuses to wear gloves so he cut himself earlier doing dumb stuff so you know it really is it's like this sort of like it's like a classical greek epic where we follow a tragic hero whose flaws will eventually be his undoing and his obviously his big flaw is his uh toxic masculinity and his bullying you know behavior and more specifically like that manifests in his refusal to wear gloves because he's such a tough guy and that kills him mm-hmm. well this has a lot to do with i think him and peter's relationship as the movie goes on and i mean when he's when he's to the point of where he's making a rope out of this rawhide from the diseased cow I mean, he, he, he's gotten to a point to where he's comfortable enough with Peter to have gone out to even do that. 
which is something that he wouldn't have done before, you know? So either he's not thinking about it and he just does it, which I doubt, or he is willing to like show that he's more of a man to go out and you know maybe you know i'll show him that you can do this with this animal that kind of thing you know what i mean what do you think abby so if the rope is kind of our symbol of this rugged masculinity that because who taught phil how to make these ropes was bronco henry yeah and phil's trying to pass this on to peter it Mm. seems so it, it feels very much like this is this rough and tumble masculine kind of existence that he's passing the torch down to or attempting to. That's what the rope feels like to me. So if that's the rope, the gloves feel like healthy masculinity to me, which this is an important discussion, I feel, in the topic of toxic masculinity because if we know what's toxic, how do we know what's positive? Mm -hmm. It's not the complete flip. There's a healthy balance there of what real masculinity needs to be. And it needs to be like gloves, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. And gloves, you know, gloves are strong. (laughs) Gloves are weak. Protective. But that whole scene where Rose this is the moment when I was watching the film the first time when Rose gets is gifted these gloves and she like has a whole moment. Yeah. Wow. These they're so soft. They're beautiful. Like this whole moment she passes out and she refuses to take off these gloves, even in her illness. That was the moment where I was like, something really is going on here with the gloves. Um, And it just feels like the reason that she is clinging so desperately to these soft, gentle, protective gloves is because she has no experience of that. Yeah. And she is desperately seeking someone to represent those positive qualities of masculinity to her. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. And because she's not getting Phil, it from George. Yeah, yeah. She's so, not getting it from George. Yeah, not getting the, it from Phil. The gloves are, are tough like phil and they're gentle like george Mm -hmm. george wasn't tough enough (laughs) because he didn't defend people and and phil wasn't gentle enough because he was a jackass so the gloves are really the happy medium like that's where you want to be you want to be tough but gentle you want to be protective um but humble (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. i mean that's good that's good but not overly aggressive yeah the gloves are the perfect happy medium and it's why Phil refuses to wear them. But here's what I want to throw this to you because this is still, this is what I think, but then Peter wears the gloves only when it suits him. Right. So what can you make of this? (laughs) This is where I'm still trying to think about it. Now, Peter wearing the gloves, I did not really think about symbolically except in as much as Phil refuses to do it because he's too much of a tough guy. Peter's not. So he's going to do the sensible thing and wear the gloves to protect his hands. That um, feels and right. Specifically, Peter knows, Peter knows that he cut up that raw, rawhide from a whole disease cow. Yeah. 
and he's going to wear the gloves to protect himself. And he knew that Phil would not do that. Yeah. Because it Pete at least feels like conniving little man. <laughs> yeah. It at least feels like premeditation on Peter's part. Yeah. But that's a good point that Peter has been shown to be like, he's just who he is. And he'll make decorative flowers if he pleases. Yeah. It's fine. Um, he'll, he'll do what he wants. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And that, speaking of those flowers, we don't have to do a whole bit on those, but um, obviously flowers are more of a feminine symbol. But I mean, as soon as I saw the boy making those flowers, I knew that's going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. one of my predictions that did come true was that phil was going to make an issue of those flowers but i noticed he didn't really have an issue with them until he knew they were made by a dude that's it because at first he thought a woman made them, and he was like huh wonder what woman made these and mm-hmm. then when when peter said actually that was me that's when it was like all right we're gonna deride this kid to, we're gonna light you know. these ablaze yeah yeah that's when it became a problem anyway we and- were talking about the gloves and Go ahead. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> we've already moved on. It's good. Well, we could talk about the dinner party scene. Yeah. We could talk with about the, that dinner party scene. With the serial killer from Criminal Minds. I, I mean, when I tell you <laughs> that my skin crawled a little bit when the governor showed up, because I was like, last time I saw him, he was cutting people open and stuff. <laughs> oh, that would have thrown me for a loop. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Tristan, what were you going to say about that scene? Um, well, I, 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 I feel like we talked about George a lot here, but, um, it, it's just, it's just so tell it, it, it's just, to me, it's a perfect example of their relationship in this movie is that dinner scene. It's, you know, we, we know that he's gone a lot. We know that he um doesn't know about things that he should know about like like her drinking and i don't think that's that big of an issue yet at the time of the dinner party scene i can't remember um she starts drinking after the dinner party okay yeah and that that's just like the tension there and there's a shot actually where everyone is moving away from the dinner table and they're moving into the, uh, by the fireplace or where the piano is. And we just see, uh, we just see, um, what's her name? Kristen, Kristen Dunst. Dunst. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we see her sitting there and she's, she's coming up with excuses, you know, and then she doesn't know what to do. And then she says, I guess I'm going to go do it. You know, in her mind. And that whole time, the person who's supposed to be helping her and is her husband and supposed to be supporting her is with the other group, encouraging her to come on and play the piano, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, that, that really affected me because it, it's just so devoid of care to me. Like, Mm. I, I, I don't think that's, he's just not aware and i think being aware of things like that is showing that you care about someone Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and for some for him as her husband as someone who is supposed to notice these things i mean frankly it seems like they didn't get to know each other very well 
at all before they got married it mm-hmm. kind of went quickly but that's a different story i mean there, to there's a lot phrase, to paraphrase the nun from ladybird love is paying attention yes mm-hmm. yeah that's such a good movie yeah. and 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 yeah i mean that that kind of stuff just strikes me a lot caring about someone is loving them to me and and I, the, the fact that he just didn't care enough really he didn't care enough to know mm-hmm. how she's feeling there to be able to say you know this isn't the time this isn't right this isn't okay this shouldn't be happening and stopping it it just made all the difference for like that that's the part what makes me say you know what george actually isn't that good of a guy like yeah. I, I i can sympathize with him because of his plight and the things that he's gone through but you you can know and you can be better than that see this is why i mentioned trauma that quote about trauma in the beginning i love how detailed this movie is and that's why because um in my field and the content that i'm consuming regarding trauma recently points to the fact that like people can have what's called big t traumas these are like major traumatic events in their lives but traumatic events are not the same as an experience of trauma and the little t trauma matters just as much so this is like you could tell the story as George asked Rose to play the piano, but she was nervous about it, but you don't get into it because George, it seems genuinely likes her playing. That's fine. But he's not picking up on her cues that she is now in a shutting down. I can't function mode. He's not picking up on that. He's not with her. He's missing her. That's a, that's a type of trauma in and of itself. Mm -hmm. This is, this is like the Perks of Being a Wallflower episode where I mentioned, and I, I, Abby, I wish you were on there because I think you could have talked more about this like better than I phrase it. I was trying to say there's a difference between a sort of trauma that sticks with you so hard and so core to who you are. And then there's, there's like wounds. And I think you just described it in a way that I meant to say it, but I was trying to talk about the difference between what I think is a wound versus a capital T trauma. And so mm-hmm. I think, I think that's much better. <laughs> yeah. but that's what I mean. Listeners, if you've listened to that episode, please don't judge me too harshly. Mm-hmm. Well, still talking about that dinner party scene in walks Phil whistling the tune that she was meant to play. That he, he comes also- in. He he showed her up playing that song on banjo. Yeah, and that's, exactly. That's kind of what freaked her out. Anyway, sorry yes. to interrupt. No, no, no. Exactly. That preceded that scene, and that scene was so intense, so yeah. intense. And then here he comes in the moment of her failure. You didn't play. I mean, well done because I enjoy Benedict Cumberbatch, but I hated him in that moment. <laughs> yeah, as as we should. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you have, I think, out of these four characters, you've got two, Peter and Phil, who are actually pretty conniving. And they're, mm-hmm. they're very intelligent characters, actually. George, not really. And I think that 
uh, Kristen Dunst's character has too many other things going on inside of her to really reach that point of being aware. You know what I mean? She's trying to numb what's going on. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a flaw all of its own, but which, you know. Which is, you know, problems caused by the other three um, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So, yeah. Um, but I mean, that's, you've got these two characters that really are just driving a lot of these thoughts and feelings that are, that are going through everyone. Mm -hmm. It's Phil and Peter. We want to talk about the power of the dog, like the dog as a symbol. Yeah. Let's hear some thoughts. (laughs) Ah, So, so the title (laughs) comes from that, uh, from the psalm, Peter mm-hmm. actually reads it at the end, yeah. which you'd think mm-hmm. would make it seem on the nose, but I don't know that it is. But I mean, in the psalm, mm-hmm. it's um, the psalmist praying to be saved by the dogs that are surrounding him, like scavengers, like they're gonna, you know, like they're gonna feast on his bones after he's dead, type of thing. Like that's what that's what the the dogs refer to in the original um, source material there. Mm-hmm. But then it, they also, the dog thing also shows up in the story because Bronco Henry, we figure out uh, apparently, uh, you know, during the days when he had Phil under his wing was like, Hey, Phil, look at those Hills. You see what I see? looks like a, looks like the, sh- like a barking dog. When you look at the shadows there on the Hill, looks like a dog with its mouth open. And Phil just stares at those Hills and everybody else is like, what are you looking at? And he's like, if you don't see it, it's not there. Which is, to me, that just sounds like Phil saying, <laughs> I know something you don't. Just, mm-hmm. just finding one more thing he can lord over other people to make himself seem superior. Then when he talks to Peter about it, he's like, Bronco Henry taught me to see things in a way that other people don't see. Which, to me, the term for what he's talking about is probably creativity. Um. Peter has creativity and he demonstrated that from the very first scene that Peter's in when he made the flowers, he showed us he's a creative person. Mm -hmm. Uh, He draws all the time, you know, and Peter's immediately like, yeah, it looks like a dog. feels like what you just Mm -hmm. saw that. Like it, it rattles Phil that Peter um, didn't even need somebody to point it out. Peter's like Bronco Phil. I mean, Bronco Henry, whatever his name is. (laughs) Bronco Phil. (laughs) They've combined forces. Bronco Peter. He's creative <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's I, the go ahead. Well, can I throw this at you and just see if it sticks? Yeah. Because this is what this is actually a lot of the conversation that I had with my folks after we first viewed this movie. And this is the conversation that dad was like, whoa. Um, so this was a collaborative thought process. When so um, Phil gets his magazines and his leisurely content from mm-hmm. Bronco Henry. Mm-hmm. Bronco Henry was the one who saw that dog. I think the dog is repressed sexuality. Mm. And Phil's looking out there and no one else sees because he's repressed that. And I'm like, Phil sees it, but Peter's the only one who like immediately was like, oh yeah, the dog, like I see straight through your armor. 
Oh, yeah. Wow, that's good. I was nice. thinking that's a really good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, well, and Peter's also the one who's, you know, like Phil tells that story about when Bronco Henry saved his life because they shared a bedroll against the cold. <laughs> Peter mm-hmm. says, were you naked? Peter knows they were naked. <laughs> he knows. I love that scene so much because it's such a, I got you, got you where I want you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the power of the dog as as a line has a lot of different meanings that you could interpret it as. I mean, you could also think about it. I, I You probably saw my Google search, but I was looking up the context of this verse after I saw the movie. And you could you could think about these dogs as the other characters around and the influences all the way even to Bronco Henry is not around. And it's like, you know, who can who can save Phil or who can save Peter or who can save any of them? You know, mm-hmm. could it be the other the others around them that seemingly aren't helping and are actually there to inadvertently hurt them because it's almost a part of their core to hurt because of things that have happened to them in the past and and who they are like dogs are just meant to hunt and kill and eat these are people who have pains and hurts that you know just happen because that's part of how they're they've been built so you can think about it in that way too this is a deep movie man yeah it is Um, so many layers the drama in this movie unfolds very much like a classic work of literature like a shakespeare play or a greek drama you know you've got characters with these clear and specific flaws that kind of lead to their undoing or they dynamically kind of rise past them and the you know the interactions between these characters all unfold in a way that's very believable and engaging and it's really deep, like you said, Abby. This is good. Um, it's it's not often you come across a film that's so well written, and in, in which and you know you probably owe a lot of this to the the book originally, and which is based off of, um, and and in which you can just really dig into the characters and what they're all about. Doesn't happen so often, and it's not always as cleverly done so mm-hmm. well do we have uh, any closing thoughts we might have to read that book um <laughs> i have one more thing that i just have to say so cody smith mcphee who plays peter um is a great actor and it turns out he's one of my favorite actors <laughs> so uh, watching this I knew I recognized his face i didn't know why but i didn't take the time to look him up until right before we recorded and I was like, oh, man, I decided a long time ago that Cody Smith McPhee was one of my favorite actors. I forgot his name, but I decided a long time ago he was one of my favorite actors because this guy, when he was a kid, was in a scene and his acting in particular and really the line that he said made me cry harder than i have ever cried in any movie or at anything in my entire adult life wow and i'm not a crier you guys know that uh but when i watched the road 
I cried like an absolute baby. Abby was there. She can testify. We had to pause the movie for me to get it together because I was crying so hard. And it, it all culminated in, a, I'm not going to spoil it, but it's a particular scene where the boy in the road says a particular thing to his father. Um, and, and that boy is played by Cody Smith McPhee in his younger years. Um, and, and he was so good in that movie that I decided immediately he was one of my favorite actors just based on that movie. But I didn't realize until today that that's the same guy. He's in The Power of the Dog. Well, I got to see mm-hmm. that movie now. Oh, it's so good. Um, mm-hmm. And I read the book, The Road, and it's one of my favorite books now. Top five. So good. Yeah, I know. I think you and maybe Abby have told me to see that movie before. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been on my list. I yeah, you to gotta it. see the road. Don't hop to it. Good. All right, well, let's score this sucker. All right. I'll go first. Oh. Uh, I'm gonna give it a 92. Definitely an A movie. This is a very good film. Um, really deep. Definitely, even though it's long and it's, and kind of slow, which is what I guess what loses the eight points for me. Um, I would still be willing to watch this movie again. It is that good. You know, a, a lot of the movies that I've put on my list, like, you know, favorite movie list, it's, they used to be movies like this. I think like there will be blood is one of them that I think is really intense. And it used to be my favorite movie and now it's not, it's moved down a good bit. Um, I think I'm going to give this movie an 88. Still pretty good. I really do like this movie a lot. I think I need to see it again to really, you know, take take even more of it in. Um, 88 sounds good. Yeah. I'm giving it a 93. I think this happened the last time I was on the podcast too, is I did like, Elijah, you said 92 and now I'm saying 93. Like I've, I've done this before, but yeah, I, I agree. I don't mind slow movies, but it is slow. But once those pieces are set on the board, man, it gets moving. In yeah, its own way. it really does. And I expect this movie to be three hours long and someone said yeah. it was, and it's not. So, well, that uh, brings us to an average. We're going to use our patented scoreometer. Nice, thank you. Uh, brings us to a ninety-one on average. Twenty-three of us. So. All right. Yeah, that's an A. That's that's them powerful dogs, folks. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> I know y'all are looking for some powerful dogs, and we delivered uh well um thanks for listening folks we've got uh, another one coming out for you next week um what are we watching Tristan? well i'm glad you asked uh (laughs) we're watching the (laughs) i think 2011 adventures of 1010 based off the old comics the old dutch comics this is one for all you dutch out there who listen (laughs) or keep listening to us you you keep us you, you keep the fire warm you keep the coals burning so thank you uh, <laughs> listeners thank you. if this is if this is the first or second time you've listened to setting the scheme everything that happened in the last two and a half minutes was a reference to something else that has happened on the podcast we're finally doing something culturally significant for the dutch folks <laughs> so there you go um well you can find us in all your uh favorite places to listen to podcasts 
Um, we have social media accounts, Instagram and Facebook. Um, we also have a Twitter and you can follow us on there and uh, we'll notify you about new episodes we got. They come out every Wednesday. Um, yeah. And if there's nothing else, we'll sign off. I've been Tristan. I'm Elijah. I'm Abby. And thanks for listening to Set in the Scheme. See you guys later. Bye.